Welcome back to the Protectors Podcast. We are back again with Brad Taylor and my excellent co-host, who seems to be on every author list that I've ever had so far, A.M. Adair. Uh, welcome to the show, Brad. Welcome back. I think this that's how to be like your seventh or eighth time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Seems like I'm it seems like every few months there's a new book coming out. Now it's Dead Man's Hand. Yeah. But I love it. Keep them going. Absolutely. Yeah, hey, Brad, I'm halfway through the next one. Oh, geez. You know, what's really cool is I, uh, we're, I was right before we got on, we were talking about Charleston and stuff like that. And I remember going like my first trip down to Charleston in years, there's a little bookshop downtown and they have a whole section for like local authors. So I'm always everywhere I go now with the, with the authors and stuff like that. I'm like, is that oh, so books? Cool. yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. They do my book launch. Oh, that's awesome. That's a really yeah. cool little place. I like it. Yeah. And then where I was up in Rock Hill, and then Rock Hill has this like bookstore. It's like Life, Liberty, and Books. It's really cool. And then I'm up there. I'm like, I'm over here taking pictures of all the books. I'm like, hey, local authors. I love Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to move. I call it the promised land. It is. Don't tell anybody about it. That's too late. Everybody else knows. The only Changing issue we the day. Uh, the only issue you have was what you said is like there's nowhere to shoot guns. And you just got you got to talk about yeah. this Henry Lever action you got. Yeah, yeah. That's actually, I spent so much money to my wife's like, what are you buying all these parts for? Didn't it come ready to run? It's like, yeah, it, it did. But since I, you know, got it from Henry, I'm going to put all these parts on it. So, I mean, I redid the whole thing. New trigger, uh, you know, forend, M-lock forend, uh, Chisholm buttstock. I stripped a 300 blackout I had for a T2 aim point, three power magnifier, uh, surefire flashlight, the whole nine yards, muzzle brake. <laughs> I tell you what though, like when you like yours is three fifty seven, yeah, mine's a forty four, and I tell you, it's like it doesn't feel like you're shooting a forty four Magnum. So no, imagine three fifty seven is like nothing. No, so I was shooting uh, plates because out on the range I shoot at you, you 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 can't shoot rifle rounds at plates, um, but three fifty seven is a pistol round, so I can do it, and I can be just like John Wayne on a horse. And so he had all these plates lined up, and you know I'm knocking them down, knocking them down. And uh, my daughter videotaped me. She said, I'm going to videotape you on this one. And so I said, okay, hang on. I'm going to get this perfect. And I uh, went, pow, missed. And I was like, stop. Stop the, tape. <laughs> stop the tape. Hey, record again. <laughs> so, like, you know, clean the plates is pretty simple to do with a rifle. It's, in fact, it's remarkably, it's impossible really to screw it up. And um, I saw the comments is like, well, there's not much recoil. Is this, you know, Photoshopped? I'm like, it's 357. I mean, an eight pound rifle, there's not going to be a whole lot of recoil. I am. Um, so I have a single shot uh, 4570, and I think it's an old Ruger. And I went, I brought that out to the range a couple of weeks ago, and I'm shooting it. And I'm like, holy, that's the first time I ever shot a 4570. And I'm thinking, I, yeah. you know, because I initially wanted to get a 4570 lever action. And I shot that thing, and I'm like, damn. I really need to get a 4570 lever. <laughs> I mean, it's just that round. It's just, it reminds me of like, you know, like a Buffalo hunter or something like that. Yeah, exactly. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Like, you know, a patch and ball round. I think it's really cool. Cause your last build was an AR, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, actually I'm still, I just, for Christmas, I, I've got a 6.5 Creedmoor. In fact, I'm going out to shoot it tomorrow that, uh, I just read it all the components. I got a JP enterprise, low, low mass bolt carrier, 
iconic trigger, uh, silent capture spring, new buttstock. In fact, just before we came on here, the UPS guy, I saw him walk up. <laughs> He's got a piece for me. My wife doesn't know about it. What is a, I, I think it's like Legos. It's like Legos for us. I'm doing the same thing. The Zico knows everything. You should know this. Right. So, I'm like looking around. I'm looking around my desk here and I'm like, uh, should I even pull this out? I'm like, so I, I built the I built the nine millimeter AR out of aero precision. And then I put the yeah. rise armament on it. I mean, then I'm like, oh, you know what? I have this old commemorative Border Patrol AR I had. I'm like, let me put a new trigger on it. <laughs> I'm like, it's like, it's like Legos for adults, but it's like, it's, I think it's like when you're building something, you're putting it together. It's, it's kind of like, you're not thinking about books. You're not thinking about anything. Yeah. I want to see how tight a group I can get on that thing. It's, it's shooting pretty well right now. Um, but for Christmas, I told my wife, here's my list of parts I would like. And then you have to be really specific because they make something like an H2 yeah. buffer, H3 buffer, H1 mm-hmm. buffer. And I was like, don't get the wrong one. I've got to have this one because it's a, it's a 308, you know, it's 6.5, but it's 308 yeah. build. So I've got to have this type of buffer mm-hmm. and that type of low mass operating system. And I want the stainless. I don't want the nitride. Get this, get that. And uh, so I got to go shoot it tomorrow and see how it works. Probably blow up in my face, but no. <laughs> Well, how much of that actually ends up, you know, being used as detail in the stories you create, or is it vice versa? You you do your research and then decide this is my new wish list. Uh, a lot of times, it'll end up in the book if it if it's important. I don't spend a lot of time on uh, weapon systems in the book. That uh, you know, I just don't see the need to to bore the reader with everything. Um, but if it's necessary, if it's something that's critical to uh, the book itself, then it'll make it in the book. But I mean, you know, it's Pike's going to draw a pistol and shoot at somebody when the, when the gunfight's going on, you want the gunfight to flow. So he draws his pistol and shoots somebody. He doesn't put his hand around his Glock 23 with his RMR hollow sight and withdraw it from his Kydex holster with his Oakley sunglasses on and press check the pistol. You know, it just slows everything down. So if I can get away with saying pistol, I'll say pistol. Uh, I mean, I'll describe it, you know, beforehand, you know, hand out Glocks or something like that. But um, like we were just talking about the, the creed that, you know, there's no way I'd start talking about, it's got a JP enterprise, low mass bolt carrier and silent capture spring and this iconic two stage trigger. And, you know, it's that just kind of boring. I, I do see a lot of books that they really do throw a little way too much detail in like product placement. Yeah. Like now I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll do some product placement. If you give me. Oh yeah. Free. Yeah, so exactly. I, you know, he had, pulled out the Henry Lever because they, they <laughs> said, I said, I'll put you in a book. I was at SHOT Show. I said, look, I've got a 300 blackout suppressed. Uh, it could be a gym tech suppressor. Oh, and yeah. He said, <laughs> said, roger that. <laughs> so, L- listen I about got it. a gym tech suppressor, and that's what they were shooting for that. Maybe, you know what? Maybe that's what it is because I'm, I'm really kicking around the idea, and I've actually started writing a fiction book because my whole life has been like nonfiction. I'm like, I really want to do something. I'm like, Maybe the back of my mind is saying, "Hey, maybe I just want free gear." I'm <laughs> just, yeah. no, seriously. <laughs> when you when you start writing these books, and that's one thing I want to get into you is like, you know, you go from the, working in a unit and you work in the military, and then having that flexibility to jump into the fiction world and start writing. And now, now that I started writing fiction, I'm starting to see like, oh, this is cool. I could like run these stories the way I run to run them. I could run these operations yeah. the way I would run them. So let's talk about that, about like, you know, 
obviously working for Delta Force, working for Soft and all that, you're really meticulously planned. So how did you transfer like this meticulous planning and keeping it where you're not divulging TTPs? Well, part of it actually, it's most of the guys that uh, are in soft or anybody's planning any exercises, you're, you're kind of a fiction writer. So when you design an enormous exercise where you're going somewhere, you know, pick a country, I'm going to Peru. Um, you're going to brief the guys. They're going to do it real world. You know, it's an exercise, but they're going to, they want everything real world. They don't want anything handed to them. And so you'll give them an intelligence package. You'll give them all this kind of stuff. But because it's an exercise, you have to make them do what you want to do. You don't want them to crack a real bank when you want them to go to the one you rented next door, things like that. Uh, and so you have to craft, okay, like when you write a novel, Pike's going to do one thing. There's something he's going to do. Well, he could do a thousand things. And there's got to be a reason why he didn't do 999 other things. Uh, because that one thing is the only thing that makes sense. Uh, otherwise, you'll get emails, you know, out the wazoo about, you know, why didn't he just do this? And why didn't he just do that? So you've got to design the scene as in this is the what he had to do at this moment in time. And that, you know, when you design exercises, you basically have to do that. I cannot have the team go this way. I can't have him go that way. So you're, you're building the, you know, the scenario for the team uh, for them to execute. And so it kind of translates that way. You know, the other thing about writing these books is keeping them current. Now with Dead Man's Hand, there's, it's very current. It's, you know, yeah. real world. What is your go-to for like your open source, reliable information? Oh, I got a ton. I, I don't, I wouldn't say I have one every morning. I spend about probably two hours every morning reading feeds from all over. Um, then they come from all over that, you know, from the middle East, anywhere that I can get. And it's, you know, they're not, there's nothing top secret about it. You know, foreign policy, war on the rocks, breaking defense, defense one, all the earlier bird briefs you can get military.com, um, uh, AI from the Middle East. Uh, there's just a ton of different people out there that, that uh, you can get on their news feeds and they'll send it to you. And a lot of it's duplication. You'll see the same story. Sometimes it's not though. And, there, and I'll get a story that I see that uh, picks my interest. And that's usually what drives the plot. In this case, I was following the war in Ukraine, not because I had no intention about writing Ukraine. The worst thing you can do writing current events is something that's actually happening. It's better to write about the horizon. This could happen. Uh, and then, you know, if, if in a perfect world, when your book gets published year, year and a half later, boom, there it's happening. And then you look like a genius. But the, uh, in this case, the war was going on. And I actually told my publisher, I, when I was, I was doing a research on Ukraine just because I'm, I'm interested in it. I, I follow it. And I have some friends that are over there. Um, and so I was tracking what was going on. And so I started doing research on just the entire ecosphere of Russia and Ukraine, the history and all that. And I stumbled on a thing called the perimeter system, which I'd never heard of. That's a Cold War thing that uh, we, uh, Ronald Reagan came up with the strategic defense initiative, the Star Wars thing, which basically said, we can shoot out any missile in the sky. We get this up in the air and we, you know, it's a complete umbrella and nobody can ever attack us with uh, nuclear ballistic missiles. Of course, it never came anywhere near to that, you know, ability, but it scared the hell out of Russia. Russia couldn't compete with that. And so they said, you know, this is going to give them, that's going to, they're going to have the ability to do a first strike on us because we can't do anything about it. They're going to do a first strike on us. And so their answer to that was a perimeter system, which in the West we called the dead hand, which was, it's like the earliest rendition of artificial intelligence. They had this system that monitored, you know, seismic activity, monitored communications between headquarters. It had all these little 
monitoring stations that if they all went dead, then anybody, any second lieutenant who was still alive could launch the perimeter system, which was basically a ballistic missile that went up in the atmosphere and sent launch codes to everything that was still available. And everything in the Russian arsenal would go up in the air. And the Russians did that because they were like, okay, that's our deterrence. Their deterrence is SDI. Ours is, even if you wipe out the Kremlin, our missiles are coming. And uh, that thing is still exists. It is still around. Uh, and it's caused a lot of consternation when Ukraine went off. It was like, holy moly, you know, what's going to, they still have this perimeter system. Uh, and I started reading about that and I was like, man, that is too juicy for, I'm going to use that in a story. Now I did tell my publisher, I said, here's a risk. I've got three risks for you. Risk number one, Ukrainian, the war in Ukraine ends before uh, the book is published. And I was like, that's a very low risk, but it is a risk. Uh, risk number two, the um, somebody that the very beginning of the book deals with Sweden and Finland trying to join NATO and Turkey and Hungary and all these guys tell them not to. Uh, and so there's a plot line through there. And I said, risk number two is Sweden's probably going to join NATO before the book's published. I said, it's going to be a race, but they might. Turned out they're not going to join NATO before the book's published, but probably two weeks later they will, unless what happens in my book happens, then they won't join. But, um, and then risk number three was that uh, Putin is removed via coup or some other means. And I said, that's just not going to happen. He's a strong man. He's, he's got it under control. And then those Wagner guys went across the border. <laughs> Prozin starts rolling into Moscow. I'm about, uh, you know, a month away from turning the book in. I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> it's happening. Can you imagine? I mean, and that, that whole thing, like, I'm just watching. I'm like, this is like a bad movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling like I'm back in the 80s. Like, I'm going to have to tell my kids about doing like the. You remember in the 80s? Am you probably do it, too, like where we have to get underneath the desk. Oh, I there's going to be an atom, a nuclear war. <laughs> or the, yeah, every every courthouse had the symbol, the nuclear symbol. Mm-hmm. And that movie, The Day After, freaked me out. And then they were talking about, like, Putin's going to launch a nuke. He, he's not going to do that. I'm like, oh, my gosh. What are we doing? I'm like, we're yeah, back. Well, to the rolled across the border. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Uh, and so I started. I mean, I knew all about. The only good thing for my book was I've used Wagner in two other books. And so I'm like, I'm not going to use Wagner again. Nobody had ever heard of when I started writing the book. And then they blew up on the stage and I was like, thank goodness I didn't use them because they're going to get decimated. <laughs> Putin is going to get rid of him. And that's sure enough, that's what happened. So I'm like, thank goodness I stayed away from Wagner on this one. Well, they often say the truth is stranger than fiction, but for fiction writers, we maybe it's just our imagination. Maybe we see the stories that most you know, like politicians and media don't pick up on. But more often than not, our fiction actually ring, has more of a ring of truth to it than reality does. Yeah. And so, you know, honestly, part of the hard, one of the hard parts about writing is you've got to write fiction that somebody will actually believe when in real world, crazy stuff can happen. And it's true. It happened. But if you put it in a book, it'd be like, that would never happen. Like if I wrote the Prigozhin was going to cross in from Ukraine, roll through Rostov and head on up to the Kremlin, everybody'd go, that's so fanciful. Well, yeah, that's what he did. It's like uh, that scene from the movie Demolition Man, you know, when they tell Stallone's character that Schwarzenegger was president. And he's yeah, right. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, the actual the, the plot of the book is a, a group of partisans called the Wolves in my book um, from Ukraine. They, they decide that the only way to end this war is to take out Putin. And they're going to go. They're on the road. To, they've got some disaffected GRU guys who also think that Putin's going to bring down Russia. And so they're like, we got to get rid of this guy. And so they help 
the wolves to take out Putin. Unbeknownst to any of them, Putin has changed what used to be called the dead hand to the dead man's hand, which is not if there's a first strike. The dead man's hand was really just for a first strike. If there was a first strike and all these cataclysmic things happened with the seismic activity and all that, in the book, Putin changes it to if I'm dead, launch the missiles. And he's got his five horsemen who have, or the four horsemen who have this capability to launch a missile. But nobody knows that except for him and his four horsemen. And then that's kind of the dilemma that Pike faces is now he's got these guys going to go take out Putin. Well, he's got to stop the good guys in order to let the bad guy live to prevent the catastrophic event that's going on. What is going on in Brad Taylor's mind? You know, <laughs> I mean, I, uh, but I was bringing, I'm, I'm so excited about writing fiction now. It's like everywhere I go, I'm looking at scenes. Yeah. Like I'll go to like, if I go to Philly, I go to Wilmington, I go anywhere. I'm looking at a scene. Is that like you? Like when you're just rolling around, you're like, huh, that might be good for the book. Yeah. Especially when I go to a new place, like at Charleston, I know it so well that, uh, you know, a lot of, they'll start out in Charleston quite a few times. Um, you know, he's, Pike's office is down on Shem Creek, that kind of thing. So I can do that out of the back of my hand. But if I'm rolling around somewhere, um, someplace new, I'll take a look at it. In fact, we went to Middleton Plantation, which is this big plantation here in Charleston. It's a tourist thing. But we were tourists for a day in our own town. Hey, let's go to Middleton Plantation. I went out there and they've got all these canals and these rivers and these old buildings and ruins. And I'm like, man, I could use this in a book. So then I start taking pictures, you know, and I still have them on file. I haven't used it yet, but I was like, you know, I could definitely see how this would work out. Now, like when you're writing a scene like that, how do you, like you take the picture and then you're like, huh, okay, this can go in there. And then what is your visualization process? Like, do you like, do, are you mapping out this book ahead of time? You're like, okay, I'm going to throw a scene no. like here. Are you just kind of got, I, I, I look at probably, uh, um, much like any research I do for a book, probably 10% of that research ends up in the book. Uh, and so I'll hit a place like for this book, we went to um, Copenhagen, Sweden, Finland, Estonia, all over the place. And we hit a, just a bazillion different places. And there's just a ton of cool stuff out there. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to use it or how I'm going to use it, but uh, I'll take a ton of pictures when I see it. And my, my photo album, for instance, we just did a, I had to download them for uh, Elaine to do something with them. I had uh, 1,568 pictures from that trip. And most of the pictures are something that nobody would care about. So I'll take pictures of, of the interior of, uh, uh, you know, like there's these really cool bars that go down underneath the ground and they've got a the karaoke that's in this arch thing from, you know, the 1600s. And I'm like, man, I'm gonna put that in a book. So I take a ton of pictures inside. And then when I get outside, I'll take a picture of the street sign on here, street sign across the way, the next intersection, so that when I get back, I can find it on a map. Uh, there's nothing worse than that. It's happened to me over and over again when I have this, this coolest location I want to use, and I can't remember where the hell it is. Especially when I'm done with a whole trip, you're like, okay, this was somewhere in the country of Finland. And then you're going back through your head, okay, day one, we went here, day two, we went here, day three, okay, that's a day three picture. You know, it's just too much work, so... I'll take pictures of street signs, pictures of everything near it. And if I can't find a street sign, I'll take a picture of a store. The nearest, uh, for instance, there was an airfield. And I, this is a good example of one I didn't use in the book. We were going up to some rune stones uh, in Sweden. And there was an airfield that was, uh, as we're driving along, there's this dirt airfield out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it had just rudimentary lights and things like that. And then I, as soon as I saw it out the side of the car, tour guide was driving. I said, slow down a little bit. I took a bunch of pictures and uh, I have no idea where we are. We've been on the road for an hour and a half. We're on the same freeway. 
And so the next thing I saw was a, uh, you know, quarter mile, mile up the road was a bus stop. I took a picture of that bus stop. Then when I get back, I mean, I'm not going to use the bus stop, but I can Google that bus stop and figure out where that is on the map. And then I can find that airfield. Well, if you ever need somebody to do your map tracking for you on these trips, I humbly volunteer as tribute. <laughs> I will follow behind and make sure you know exactly where you are. Yeah, I do. There's, it, my pictures have gotten worse and worse and worse. I'm going to have to get a hold of them because I was going through my book research trips. Like I went for uh, Enemy of Mine, my third book. I went to uh, uh, Dubai, Qatar, and uh, one other place. Oh, Frankfurt, Germany. And uh, I, had, I looked at the pictures. I have 268 pictures. Now I come home and I've got 1,568. I'm like, oh my gosh. What are you doing with that camera? You know, welcome to crime scene photography. <laughs> you know? Yeah, right. Man, you know, when I was in a field, we didn't have smartphones. That's how old I am. I'm dating myself now. But now, like, if I would do it, I would carry like little sticky notes or just a little pad and I would write, okay, like, this is where I'm at. Take a picture of that first and then overall, then you get zoom in. It's like, because that's the thing is like when you're taking so many pictures, especially when it comes to scenes, you have to be able to recount it. And the same thing's happening. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing with authors is like when you're doing these site surveys and stuff, it's like, you're basically going to have to testify, quote unquote, testify to it later on. Yeah. So or somebody else send you an email. I guarantee it. I yeah. mean, you'll get something. Uh, usually I'm pretty accurate. The, uh, uh, I'm not above making something up too. the, uh, I had a uh, scene in DC uh, for one rough man, a very first book. And I used to go to this Irish pub, four courts pub. In fact, it was in the last book. It, the, the, um, devil's ransom ends at four courts pub. Um, and it's a really cool Irish pub. I used to love going there when I was, I was liaison up in DC for a while and, uh, I wanted to use it. So I had to have this ambush site. Well, it's kind of in a strip mall, but I made an alley. There's an alley right here. Well, there really isn't an alley, but I'm like, screw it. I'm putting an alley there. Well, that's the beauty of fiction. You have that luxury of being right. able to create the world that you need to, to be able to tell the story that you want. Yeah. Cause I mean, I'll do like in this book, uh, the Vasa museum plays a big uh, role. There's a big fight scene that goes on there, shootout and the Vasa museum. We just went there as a tourist. This is what getting on the ground helps me. I'm not as good as some other people can figure it out without getting there, but the Vasa is this giant ship. You, do you guys know what the Vasa is? It's this huge battleship they made is spent bazillions of dollars on it uh and then they launched it in sweden they launched it off the coast and it went 100 meters and sank killed all aboard and sat in the bottom of the channel for 800 billion years and the silt got over it well they lifted it out in the i can't remember it was either 70s or 80s they lifted it out and it's a complete galleon that they've put in this museum and it's really cool to look at so we went to see it, and as I got in there, it's real dark, and there's all these little tunnels everywhere, and there's viewing platforms, and I'm like, I could use this in a book. So I took a ton of pictures about it. And uh, but when you're doing the the actual, when I'm designing, you know, when, you, when you're doing assault for real, you're you're facing the enemy, and that's it. He gets the enemy gets a vote. When I'm writing the book, and I'm like, I get to, through a scene, and I'm like, well, wait a minute, that hallway goes this way. I can't get out. You know, he's going to get away. Well, okay, he's not going to be there. I'll put him over here. You know, I can rewrite the whole thing to make sure it works out. Well, you know, when you bring up like fiction books, so you also keep your foot into the world of nonfiction. You're always, I see you like always talking about like what's going on in the world yeah. and staying relevant in your field. So how do you like, you know, what's your, your viewpoint on that? Why do you, why do you, why are you outspoken? That's what I'm trying to say. Uh, well, mainly it actually comes from talking to, uh, people I know, 
that uh, it's amazing. Well, I shouldn't say they're ignorant, but um, my wife keeps saying people don't know what you know. To me, it's kind of like, I don't know why. I mean, I've got a bookshelf here full of books that I'm just constantly reading about. So, you know, as soon as the Hamas thing broke out, I was amazed at how many people didn't, one, know who Hamas was, and two, thought Hamas and Hezbollah were the same thing. You know, the whole thing was just, I was just like, this is not, none of that's right. That's not how this works. None of this works that way. <laughs> and so we were at a party one time right after it happened. And um, somebody said something and I had to correct him. I just couldn't stand by. Usually I don't say a word. Um, he was going on and on about, you know, Hamas is this and that. And the other thing is completely wrong. And so I said, well, actually. And so I started talking about it. Next thing you know, I was kind of like EF Hutt and everybody was gathered around me. And I was talking on, you know, they were asking questions and things like that. Well, then I got to ask you to speak. There's a, I was a um, round table discussion downtown and they called me out of blue, said, could you come out and talk about what's going on with Hamas? I said, yeah, I can. I mean, I don't have a presentation. I'll give you a five minute spiel and you can ask me questions, but I'm not going to spend the next three days building a presentation for you. Um, and so that's what Elaine said. You know, you ought to just do this on Facebook and just do this little three minute thing about what's going on. And so I said, okay. I agree with that. Is like, but then again, you also have to keep in mind, you know, we all, we came from a different world and our day to day was different than most people's day to day. So it does make sense that the things that we kind of took for granted are things that your average person might not necessarily know about. So the fact that you take the yeah. time to actually put that out there, I think that's not only really important, but it's critical that we kind of start getting something out there so people can actually educate themselves. Well, a lot of it, when the, the Wagner coup was going on, I did a couple of videos on that. And um, that research was solely for books. I mean, I had Wagner way back when, um, five books ago, I think it was. Uh, I knew about him. And so I just did a ton of research on him. And I, they were the bad guys in the book. Uh, so I knew all about Fergos and I knew all about where they came from. I knew about their fight in Syria. I knew what they're doing in Central African Republic. I knew all that stuff. Uh, and so when this blew up, uh, once again, I was kind of like, you guys never heard about Wagner before, <laughs> but it's because I'd done all the research beforehand. So Elaine said, why don't you do something on that? And I said, okay, I'll do something. I love it. I love your manager behind the scene, the, the chief of staff. Yeah. I Deputy commander it. of everything. Oh, I forgot. Deputy commander. I know I was, I was like, what's it? DCO? I'm like, okay, it's true. It's, it's great to have a guidepost and have someone that's like there. Who's like, hey, you know what, Brad? You have the idea. Not everybody knows what you know. Yeah, and I'm not saying I'm an expert, but every time I do a video, I say, you know, if I'm wrong on this, I'm wrong. But here's my opinion. Let's say, oh, and then I know you've got a tour coming up for the book, correct? Yeah, yeah. January twenty third, book comes out. Outstanding, and you're going to be. I'm assuming somewhere on this, and this is obviously my own personal interest, but coming through Memphis with Mark Greeny at some point. Yeah, right? we are. Going back to novel. Yep. Yes, we'll I will be there. All right. I think I might need a road trip out there. Huh. <laughs> Apparently, now, you shoot in the streets in Memphis. It happens all the time. Hey, maybe I'll bring some guns with me. <laughs> well, obviously, I'm going to bring guns with me. But, uh, you know, I don't even want to bring it up. Because every time I talk about guns, I always bring up my 5.7 pistol. Oh, you okay. know what? I actually, uh, uh, we were just shooting the other day and I was looking at the, uh, five, I haven't shot one before, Oh my god! but I saw that it was soft recoil and all that. And my younger daughter, I was like, oh, I get one of those for her. Really? I'd get it for me. Mm -hmm. but, so. Okay. Hold on everybody. Just hold on. Whenever I'm around my desk, I'm always pulling things out. 
But I have a little, uh, what do you call this, Victos chest bag. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, if I'm going to go um, hiking, you know, out in the Appalachians or something, there's going to be more opportunity for me to run into something that's not a bear. And I'm going to want something with a little less recoil and something that has like a red dot and something that is a 5.7. Which one is it? Who's making that? Uh... This is a Smith. Yeah. Okay. That's but what I was looking at. Oh my gosh, the Smith is great. And you know what? Here's a deal. I love high-end guns. I'd go. I'd love to buy an FN or something like that. But no, if it's I like be... Smith better than the FN, I look. I researched both of them. Oh, I love this gun. I tell you what, Brad. If you shot this, you'd be like, really? There's no. It's like having an AR in your hand, and then yeah, these little magazines are like. They're That's incredible. what I heard. So I've never fired one, but I did a lot of research on them. I was came close to buying one. One thing uh, I couldn't figure out is how do you suppress it? There's, uh, I mean, it's got a threaded barrel. The Smith's got a threaded barrel, but mm-hmm. I Googled, and the only thing I could find were these European suppressors where they invented the thing. I think we might have to figure this out. I think that's, you know what? Let's do a quick little IG thing here. How do we suppress a 5.7 pistol? I mean, yeah, I, if somebody says, well, you can put a 45 can on it. Yeah, okay, I understand. I could do that. Yeah, but, but I'm like, what's the right one for the... Suppress? Uh, the uh, five seven. It's just an incredible gun. I've never shot anything like it. It's I'm almost going to interrupt real quick. Yeah, behind you, AM. There, it, Homer Simpson just went in the bushes. Yeah, actually, <laughs> my, my husband would actually really like the comparison of Homer Simpson. So uh, Look, there he is. He's got he's got his headphones in, so he doesn't even realize that he actually broke through the background. <laughs> uh, this is, you know what I love? I, I wish, I wish, this is one of the days I wish I uploaded these to YouTube because I love for people to be like, hey, you got to see that because it was like the funniest thing in the world. Like you had those virtual backgrounds and all of a sudden there's like someone walked through. I'm like, that's the best thing ever. I wanted to say something because like you ever see that one with the news guy? It was like, when yeah, his little first kid. Started Zoom. he's like yeah. holding his kid down. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. Well, Brad, I appreciate you coming on AM as well. Yeah. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure. And Brad, it is always great to see you. And I'm really looking forward to catching you on the book tour. I'll see you in Memphis. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely.